Ben, my name is James, and it's a privilege for us to be with one another, and not just with one another, but also with our God, to be reminded anew and afresh of His great love for us and the implications His love has for day-to-day life. So we're glad that you're here, and we're glad for this opportunity. Now, to turn to God's Word, I invite you to do that, turning with me to the book of First Kings. If you want to take out one of the church Bibles, you'll find this reading on page 282. 1 Kings chapter 3, we're in a series uh, looking at the life of Solomon, a a short series, uh, five or six weeks, but this week we're in uh, 1 Kings 3. Uh, I'm actually going to start in verse 5 and read through to the end of verse 15. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in my place of David. You have made your servant king in the place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days." And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, ourselves go to the Lord and ask for wisdom as we come to this section of his word. Father, we are, we are a grateful people this evening because you have given us your word that we might understand more about you and how you would call us to live our, our day-to-day lives here on earth. And Lord, we know that your word is perfect. Uh, you always speak clearly, but Lord, we don't always uh, hear well. So give us the grace that we need to behold you in, in the scriptures that we might meet with you even now by the power of of your Spirit, that we would find hearts and minds engaged by the beauty of the gospel. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So how about verse 5? Take a look at it. You see it there? The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. What, What would you ask for? What, what would you ask for? The Lord shows up in a dream, tells you you can have anything you want. What is the thing that you want the most? It's the stuff of myth. It's the stuff of fairy tale, except this is no genie. 
This is God. This is God. What, what would you ask for if you were allowed to ask the Lord for just one thing? Solomon is very interesting because as we look at verse 11, look down at verse 11 with me, we see that he doesn't ask for the things that we might be tempted to ask for. First of all, we see that he doesn't ask for a long life. He doesn't ask for, for health for himself or for his loved ones. He doesn't ask that he'll you know, be able to see our, our great-great-grandkids. He doesn't ask that he'll live without pain or, or ailments well into old age. Secondly, we see he also doesn't ask for, for riches. He doesn't ask for financial security from freedom from the, the worries and concerns of the bills that, that need to be paid or the ability to buy whatever his heart desires or you know, travel, see the world, and kind of live as he pleases. That's not what he asks for. Nor, nor third, does he ask for uh, the death of his enemies. Now, I trust that a second ago when I said, what's the one thing you want, none of you immediately went to the death of your enemies. Um, you know, maybe let's talk after the service if you did. But um, we can understand very much what Solomon is getting at here, because in Solomon's context, as, as the king of Israel, the death of his enemies meant uh, worldly success, meant career success, meant security, meant uh, climbing the ladder, getting uh, respect. Solomon doesn't ask for these things. He doesn't ask for health. He doesn't ask for wealth. He doesn't ask for success. Instead, what does he ask for? What's the one thing Solomon wants most? It's to to be wise, to have wisdom. And friends, if we want to be wise, I think we need to see three things in our passage this evening. We need to see first why Solomon asked for wisdom. Why is this the thing he wants most? Secondly, we need to see how he asked for wisdom. How did he go about making this request? And then thirdly, we need to see what happened next. What happened next? Why, how, what? Let's look at these three things together. First, let's think about why Solomon asked for wisdom. Now, this is an important thing for us to pause and reflect upon because in our culture, I think there's a tendency to think of wisdom or to associate wisdom uh, with things that are a, a little bit mystical and a little bit enigmatic. So what comes to your mind when you think of someone who is wise? Well, Yoda is wise and Gandalf is wise and Dumbledore is wise. In fact, if you, put, if, if you Google the word wise, pulling the curtain back on my sermon research here. Um, if you Google the, the term wise and then click on images, you see a bunch of owls and a picture of Gandhi, right? Now, is this what Solomon is asking for? <laughs> is he saying, make me Gandhi, right? Is that, is that Solomon's prayer? No, that is not what Solomon is praying for. Look at verse 9. It's the key verse. In verse 9, we see that when he asks for wisdom, Solomon is asking for something much earthier, something much more practical, See it there? He says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people. An understanding mind to govern your people. He's not asking for the ability to grow a beard and smoke a pipe and issue some profound pontifications. He's asking for the practical ability to have what it takes in order to lead God's people well. It continues to the rest of verse 9, that I may discern between good and evil, that I might know the difference between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this your great people? So he's not looking for anything mystical, he's looking for something deeply practical. This is why Solomon asks for, for, for wisdom. He wants to be able to make right choices, wise choices, healthy and effective decision making in order that he will be able to lead God's people well. 
And so as we think about our own lives, as we think about the areas that we're struggling in or the complications that we face, it's really important for us to see this, this thread in the Bible that, that wisdom is, is not some sort of speculative theolo- uh, theoretical thing. Wisdom is much more useful than that. In the Bible, wisdom is the ability to understand real life and to know how to make real life work really well. To understand how real life can work really well. To have a practical kind of discernment to make wise, healthy choices and decisions. To navigate life with skill. It's for this reason that a number of theologians define wisdom as, as having skill in living. Skill in living. Now, friends, see when you think about that, like, who doesn't want that? Solomon's request is, is not strange at all. Who doesn't want to have skill in living, the ability to understand how to make real life work really well? Because we all know, don't we all know, that life is just full of complications. Life is full of situations where you don't really know what to do. I'm, I'm sure all of us right now can think of examples from the, from the recent past, probably even from, from the present, of situations we find ourselves in where, where it's, it's not exactly clear What's the best path to take? So should you go to this college or to that college? Should you buy this home or not? Should you take this job or not? Should you marry this person or or not? Should you attend a gay friend's wedding or not? Uh, Should you raise your child in this particular way or not? Should you take this medicine and see this counselor or confront this family member or like, should you, should you, should you, should you, should you? Honestly, I have no idea. Life's complicated. And there's no, there's no just like verse that you can just apply to all of these situations. We want to be careful about our understanding, right? That, that yes, we, we really happily submit to the scriptures having authority over all of our lives and understanding that it is sufficient for us. It tells us everything we need to know uh, to make it to eternity and to follow God today. It's sufficient. But we understand how the Bible works in its sufficiency. It's not an encyclopedia of rules that you just flick to the right page, find your answer for the specific situation that you're in. It's not some sort of like, you know, the, you know, you know the flowcharts you get? Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. It's like divine flowchart. They just follow this chart and then it's going to spit out the answer and tell you what it is that you're meant to do. That's just not how the Bible works. Instead, what the Bible does is offer us Wisdom. Wisdom. The ability to know what to do when it's not all that clear what we should do. (laughs) That's what wisdom is. The ability to understand real life and how to make it work really well. That moment-by-moment discernment to make godly choices. That's what Solomon needed. That's what he asks for. And it's what we need as well. (laughs) When we think about the complexities of our own lives, the situations we find ourselves ourselves in. Well, okay, if that's the case... um, how do we get it? How do we get this kind of skill in living? Well, let's look at our, our second category of, of how Solomon asked for wisdom. Having seen why he asked for it, let's see how he asked for it. And he does three things that serve as a model for, for our prayers as well. We're going to see that he is, he is confident, he's compelled, and he's cautious. Let's look at these three, three ideas. First of all, when Solomon asks for wisdom, he is confident, he's confident that God is going to answer his prayer. He's confident in God. 
Now, you might say, well, yeah, God just showed up to him in a dream by night and said, ask, what do, we, what, what do you want? Like, if, if God showed up to me in a dream and said, hey, what do you want? I think I'd be pretty confident that God was going to answer too. But isn't it interesting that that appearance is not the basis Solomon gives for his confidence? Look at verse 6. Solomon doesn't say, I'm confident, Lord, because you just showed up and you just asked me what I want. And that is a binding contract and it is uh, absolutely binding in Israel. So there are no take backs. You have to do exactly what, what, what I now ask. That's not what he says. Look at what he says. Why is he confident? He says, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father. This phrase, steadfast love, whenever you see it in the Old Testament, it's the translation of the, the Hebrew word hesed, which means covenant love. God's committed covenant love, the kind of special love he has for his own. You have shown this kind of great covenant love to your servant David, my father, and you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, this covenant love, and have given him a a son to sit on his throne this day. Here's what Solomon's saying. He's saying, here's why I'm confident. Because I know, I know, Lord, that you made a covenant with my dad. You made promises to my father, David. You promised him that the kingdom would flourish and that he would always have a descendant to sit upon the throne. And you've, you've been faithful to that covenant. You've been faithful to that covenant. I mean, here I am, David's son, sitting on the throne. And so now continue to be faithful to the covenant that you made. Continue to be faithful to your own word, to your own promises, by giving me what what I need in order to lead this people well. Now, on one hand, I I do find this, the basis of his confidence, just um, intriguing because it's so counterintuitive. I'd have thought the basis of his confidence would be that the Lord just showed up. But, But more than that, for us, it also gives us such hope. It gives us confidence. Why? Because the basis of Solomon's confidence that God will answer his prayer is the fact that he is praying to the covenant-keeping God, and that's the same God that we pray to today. Except we don't do so with reference to David. We don't pray and then say, in David's name, amen. We pray in the name of David's greater son, the one who now still sits on the throne, we pray in the name of Jesus as we come to our covenant God. So here's the confidence. If you're a Christian tonight, here's the confidence that you can have in prayer. You can come to the Lord and say, by the blood of Jesus, you're forgiven all of my sins. You didn't have to do that, but you did. And you promised that any who came in faith would be received as your own. You're forgiven all of my sins. And this same Jesus, you have told us in your word that all of your promises find their yes in him. And you know, Father, your son, (laughs) he said some pretty crazy stuff when it comes to prayer. Like Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Jesus said, ask for anything in my name and believe that you will receive it and it will be given to you to you. Matthew 7, John 14. So Lord, I wouldn't come before you with such a sort of audacious spirit to say, yeah, I definitely know you're going to answer my prayer, but you have told me that that you will. 
And so because you're the covenant-keeping God and because I am found in Christ, hear my prayer, Lord. Answer my prayer. Give me what I need to follow you in this world. Solomon had confidence in the covenant-keeping God, but gospel confidence is greater still. Greater still for us to know that God wants to hear our prayers and that he'll answer them when we pray. So how does he pray? First of all, he's confident. Second thing, though, we see, and this helps to add some nuance and some layers to that first point, is that he's not only confident in God, but when Solomon prays, he's also um, compelled by God's kingdom. He's compelled by God's kingdom. So when God says, what do you want? He doesn't start with a big selfish list of things that, that he himself is interested in. That's why he doesn't ask for long life or for, or for riches or for the, for the death of his enemies. But important to understand that even his request for wisdom isn't a selfish request. Even his request for wisdom isn't really about himself. He doesn't ask for wisdom so that he can write a best-selling book. Although he did. Right? Yeah. He didn't ask for wisdom in order that he could you know, make good investments and become fantastically wealthy. Although he did. He doesn't ask for wisdom in order that he might make a name for himself. Even though that because of his wisdom we're still talking about him 3,000 years later. But he wasn't motivated by any of those selfish things. No, he's motivated, he's compelled by the kingdom of God. So remember verse 9? We looked at it already, but look down again. Why does he want this wisdom? He asked for an understanding mind so that he might be able to govern your people. To discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your people? It's great. He's saying, God, answer my prayer. Make me wise. Even make me great, but not for my sake. Make me wise. Make me great for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of your people, for the sake of the work that you are doing here on earth. Now, friends, we, we, we know and we understand that the kingdom of God in the Old Testament represented in Israel is only broadened and expanded as we move into the New Testament and, and Jesus has come. He has announced the kingdom of God with him himself as our king. And so we today are, can still be compelled by, by kingdom prayers, but I just, I wonder how often we are. I wonder how often we pray with this kind of great, bold, grandiose spirit. Don't get me wrong, there, there is nothing wrong, in fact, there's everything right about bringing to the Lord the, the details and concerns of our, of our everyday lives. And we should do that. That should be a part of our prayer lives. But we should also be lifting our, our eyes from, from the horizon of ourselves to be praying about the kingdom. So let's make, let's make this really concrete, okay? Um, what would happen if God showed up and answered all the prayers you prayed this week exactly as you prayed them 60 seconds from now. He's going to take every, everything you prayed from last Sunday till this Sunday, he's going to answer it all exactly as you, as you prayed it in 47 seconds from now. Right? What, what would be different in this world? See, some of us have to face up to the awkward fact that nothing would be different because we haven't prayed this week. And see if that's you. Can I just give you a little space here? Like, it's okay. Um, you're, you're a mess like the rest of us, okay? It's okay. We're figuring, that, we're figuring this out together. But I really want to challenge those who have prayed this week. 
I want to ask those who have prayed this week, what, what would be different? What, 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 what would have changed? Like if Jesus comes in like 17 seconds time and answers all of the prayers, what, what is going to have taken place? Like is your colleague, you know your difficult colleague, are they going to have become a believer in Jesus Christ? Or are they just going to be a little less weird and a little easier to deal with? And um, your kids, right? Are your kids going to be more like Jesus? Or are they just going to have better grades? Um, and, and you, yeah, you and I, right? Are we going to any, be any different? Or are just our spouse and friends going to have changed? You know? And what about like racism and poverty and abortion and slavery and all the evil in, in the world? Is that going to be eradicated, just gone forever? Or are our lives just going to be a little more convenient? And the nations, are they going to be you know, reached with the good news of Jesus Christ? Or are we in America just going to be a, you know, a little richer still? See, there's nothing wrong with praying about the details of our lives, but we should also be praying great, grandiose prayers. Lord, give us wisdom. Make us wise. Make us great, not for our own sake, but for the sake of the kingdom. So next week, a week from now, we're going to start another worship service in Fairfax. And do you know what I'm praying? I am praying that we are going to crush it. That's what I'm praying. Do you want me to pray some sort of mediocre, like, well, Lord, I hope nothing goes wrong. That's not what I'm praying. I'm praying, Lord, that we would absolutely crush this. Now, why? Not so we can be like, aren't, you know, let's be impressed with ourselves. Right? Give ourselves a pat on the back. What, what a small motivation. Our own egos. What a small, pitiful, weak, lame prayer. Let's pray a bigger prayer where we are going to crush it so that lost people who are currently destined to a lost eternity in hell will find salvation in Jesus Christ. And that people who are hurting and, and broken will find hope and healing as the gospel makes them new. And that the love and grace of Jesus will have such an impact on our region, such a dent in our region, that we will look back in eternity and laugh about all that God did through our church. That's what I'm praying. Let's pray that way. Let's pray that God does something great, not for our sake, but for the sake of his kingdom. Friends, Solomon was compelled by God's kingdom, and God's kingdom is compelling still. So be confident that God is going to ask, and be compelled by a horizon that extends into eternity. Okay, third thing under this idea of how, how he prays, he's confident in God, he's compelled by the kingdom, but also when he asks for wisdom, Solomon is um, he's cautious about himself. He's cautious about himself. I'm just I'm trying to get at the idea of humility here. Um, Solomon recognizes that he has this great and glorious kingdom call, that God has given him that call, but he doesn't fool himself into thinking that God has given him this call because he's so qualified. Look at verse 7. It's the key verse on this point. He says, You have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. So Solomon, he's about 20 when this happens. And he says, I see the job that you're giving me to do, and I feel like a wee boy. I feel like I'm just a, I'm just a kid. And then see what he says? Um, I do not know how to go out or come in. I don't even know if I'm coming or going, right? I don't, even, I, I don't have any 
of the requisite leadership experience. I don't know when you send an army here, when you send an army there, when you move person from pillar to post and all the rest. Lord, I have no idea what I'm doing. So, okay, I hear this kingdom call and I'm compelled by it, but if you want me to do this, you better show up and equip me for it. He doesn't take himself too seriously. Yes, he's confident and compelled, but he's cautious about himself, which is perfect. Why is this so perfect? Because as Solomon himself would later write, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know what this means? It means um, God doesn't help those who help themselves. Do you know that's not in the Bible? It gets quoted like it is. I think it was Benjamin Franklin. It may have originated somewhere, somewhere else. Wherever it originated, it's not in the Bible, even though it makes the list of like the 100 best known Bible verses. Okay? It's not in here. <laughs> it's not in this book, because what this book teaches is God helps those who know they're helpless. That's what the gospel says. <laughs> the gospel says God helps those who know they're helpless. Now, this is so good for us to remember in this town, in this town and in this church where, you know, the push, the, the pressure is always toward acting like you have everything together in your office or on Instagram. Made worse by the fact that this town, and not just this town, this church, when I talk about this town, I'm talking about this church, right? This church, this room, is full of people who have uh, the gifts and the savvy and the drive to act like they're pretty good at navigating life. And listen, if you're if you're believing your own press, if you're, if you're impressed with your achievements, if you're, if you're feeling confident, confident in, your, in your abilities, if you think you've got a greater, greater kind of insight and wisdom than others around you, listen, I think the Bible would say you are a fool and you are least likely of all people to receive the wisdom of God. The good news is, if that's not how you feel, see if you feel broken. See if you feel a, a little bit of a mess. See if you feel ashamed because you haven't prayed at all since last Sunday. <laughs> see if you're not confident in yourself. You're perfectly positioned to receive the grace of God. Because God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. Which, isn't that just the most terrifying idea ever? He doesn't just ignore the proud. Like, that would be bad. If God had ignored the proud, I wouldn't want to be proud, right? But he doesn't just ignore the proud. He opposes the proud. Um, he actively will thwart and frustrate your plans because he loves you too much to let you live like you're him. And <laughs> listen, you do not have what it takes to take him on. Listen, hotshot. Listen up, <laughs> Okay. Um, our God is a consuming fire. And in his presence, outside of grace, none of us can stand. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, to the broken, to the needy, to those who know they're helpless. God arrives and blesses us with grace. And because Solomon had this posture, God showed up and blessed him with wisdom. How did he ask? He was confident. He was compelled, but he was also cautious about himself. A great model for us as we come to the Lord in prayer.
Okay, last and, and quickly this evening, we've seen why he asked for wisdom. We've seen how he asked for wisdom. Let's think briefly about, well, what happened next? Well, let's look at verse 11. What happened next? Quite simply, God answered his prayer and made him wise. Verse 11, God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. He's saying, uh, the prayer you prayed from last week till now, I'm going to answer that prayer exactly as, as you prayed it, Solomon. Behold, still verse 12, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. You ask for wisdom and I'm going to make you the wisest person who has ever lived. Never in the history of the world will there have been someone wiser than you, and never in history to come will anyone surpass the wisdom that has been given to you. What happened next? God shows up and answers his prayer. Now, later on, perhaps this evening or at some point this week, I really encourage you to read the rest of chapter 3 and chapter 4. We'll pick up in chapter 5 again next week, but chapter 3 and chapter 4 are written to give us illustrations of how wise Solomon really had become. Illustrations to prove that God really had answered his prayer. The first illustration is this wild, compelling story where two prostitutes come, come to him. They have two children with them, one who is, who is dead and one who is alive. Both prostitutes claim to be the mother of the child. Just read Read chapter 3 and just see how Solomon figures that one out, okay? Then read your way into chapter 4 and persevere because it's not half as dramatic, half as compelling, and maybe not half as interesting. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, um, but it's, it, it's not. Um, but what it shows us is Solomon's wisdom and how he begins to administer, uh, minister life in his kingdom. How God did give him the discernment that he needed to govern the people well. So it's not as dramatic, but it's just, it's just as profound. It's showing us that, that God really did make Solomon wise. What happened? God answered his prayer and made him wise. What will happen next for us if we pray? Um, if you pray for wisdom, God will make you wise. How do I know this? On one hand, we can know this because all of Scripture, Old Testament and you, are, are Christian Scriptures. And so we learn things about our Lord that we can uh, see the principles that apply to our, our own lives. But this is one of the situations where we, we don't even need to kind of extrapolate principles. We can tur turn to page 1011. That's what we can do. Got a church Bible? Turn to page 1011. James chapter 1, verse 5. What will God do for you if you ask for wisdom? James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, the if is ironic. If any of you ask wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and what? It will be given to him. I love this verse. I love all the clauses of this verse. First, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. This is an individual promise that comes to, to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. The promise that God will give you wisdom is it doesn't just apply to kings in the Old Testament or to like spiritually impressive and important people today. Uh, it, it applies to ordinary Christians. It applies to people like me. It applies to people like you. 
And what will God do if any of you asks, lacks wisdom? Well, he'll give generously to all. So it's not just an individual promise, it's also this kind of indulgent promise where he's not just going to give you a little bit of wisdom, enough to scrape by, enough to get you through. It's a lavish outpouring of wisdom where you will be equipped to do everything that he's calling you to do. Now listen, very often, normally, the experience of that is he tells you the next step. Okay? He doesn't, doesn't always give you the wisdom to know the end from the beginning, how this is all going to play out. But he gives you the wisdom to know and discern what's the next thing you, can, you should do. And when you get there, he'll give you the wisdom to tell you the next step, and so on and so forth. But he's, he's going to be generous. He's not going to withhold things that you need. Third, third clause, this, this might actually might be my favorite part of the verse. <laughs> if you lack wisdom, he'll give generously, and he'll do so to all without reproach. Isn't that great? Kind of impartiality of this promise. Um, Here's why I love this. If you go to the Lord and pray, he doesn't say, where have you been? I haven't heard from you in a while. Pastor was talking about people who hadn't prayed in a week. I don't think you prayed in a month. I don't think you prayed in years. And here you are. You're showing up, rocking into my presence. And not only do you have the audacity to do that, but now you're asking me for stuff like, really? Is, is this, that's how you're going to do this? Like, that's not our God. He gives without reproach. It means he doesn't tell you off when you come and ask him for things. He doesn't bring up all your failure, all your mess, all your mistakes, remind you of all the skeletons in your closet and say, how dare you come into my presence and ask me for anything? No, he is pleased rather to bless us simply because he loves us. He's a kind of, of God who is good to his children. And what will happen if you ask for wisdom? The last phrase, it will be given him. It's an infallible promise. As God answered Solomon's request, so he answers our requests. And you can take this one to the bank. And how awesome would it be if we all cashed this check? If we all made the prayer for wisdom a regular part of our of our spiritual and, de- and devotional lives. We'd become a community that, that, that knew how to make real life work really well. Our relationships would flourish. Our, 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 our families would, would, would flourish. Our church would, would flourish. And not only would we flourish, but think of the witness that we'd be. Think how we could be salt and light, moving out into a world that's complicated and where it's not always easy to know, to know what to do. But we, we would be able to do that effectively, working for the kingdom because God has made us wise. What happens when you ask for wisdom? God answers your prayer and makes you wise. But don't you love, this sermon has a PS, and this is what it is. Don't you love that God's not done yet? What happened next? There's more. Yes, God showed up and and gave him wisdom, but look at verse 13. God's not done yet. What does God do next? He gives Solomon wisdom, and then verse 13, he throws in everything else as well. Look at it. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all of your days. He's saying, okay, this request, Solomon, it pleases me. Verse 10, this, this, this request pleases me, and I'm going to give you this thing that you've asked for. But see all those things that you didn't ask for? I'm going to throw them in as well. Why? Why? Because really, this is the kind of God I am. 
I, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to demonstrate to my people, I'm going to make you an illustration of the fact that I am always spectacularly and unreasonably good to my children. It pleases me to bless them beyond what they have asked. So you prioritize the kingdom, Solomon. That's great. But I am going to demonstrate to you that life with me is the most rewarding and satisfying life of all. Do you know what it sounds like? It sounds like Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What happens next? And all these things will be added to you as well. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Friends, if you've been around this church for a little while, you have heard me rail against health, wealth, prosperity teaching. The shallow, superficial, heretical teaching that says, be a good person and God will increase your bank account. It's stupid and it's foolish. And I'm not stepping back from any of my criticism of it. But I'm just wanting to highlight that once again, the main problem with it is that it's not good enough. Because our God actually is spectacularly unreasonably good to us still. And the things that we, that we long for, not in a superficial sense, but the deep longings of our soul are all satisfied in him. So what is it that you want? What is it that you want? What did you think about at the start of the service? Our desires for, for love, for purpose, for, for peace, for freedom, for meaning, for security, for happiness. All of these desires are fully met in the Lord who loves us. He is the source of them all. It sounds like the stuff of myth. It sounds like the stuff of fairy tale. But Matthew 6.33 says, it's not. It's our God. And it's our God who for us didn't just show up in a dream, but showed up in his son. Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. And if you find him, you will find every blessing for which you truly long. You will find that he is enough to satisfy all the desires of your soul. You will find that he won't just make you wise, he'll throw in everything else as well. Okay, we're done. Why Solomon asked for wisdom? Because he wanted to navigate the complexities of life, to know how real life can work really well. How did he ask he was confident in God. He was compelled by the kingdom, but he was cautious and humble about himself. What did God do next? Gave him wisdom and threw in everything else. Let's take a moment just now, just in the quietness of our own hearts, to pray. If you lack wisdom, if you lack wisdom, ask. He'll give generously without reproach. It will be given to you. Let's, let's pray together.